Okay, we're going to start a uh, potentially year-long series here um, as we're starting our um, kind of a theme, an overall theme called uh, 52 Weeks Closer. And we're going to be getting closer in a, a number of different areas, uh, trying to get closer to God and closer to what He wants. Uh, and and uh, in our classes, we're going to be going through this book. Uh, we're not going to hand these out because they are like 35 bucks a piece. <laughs> so... Uh, but if you wanted one for your own, um, that won't be necessary. Probably what I'm going to end up doing is I'm going to try to get like maybe some of the main scriptures that we'll be going through uh, online so you can familiarize yourself with those um, here as we get going. Um, and we want to talk about a little bit, uh, this might be a little bit more of a luxury kind of a, a class than a, than a, I mean, obviously it's always open for participation. Um, but I um, want to talk a, a little bit about theology and doctrine. Those are scary words, right? Uh, theology and doctrine. Anybody know what doctrine means? <coughs> doctrine is more what a particular religious group okay. has decided is what they're... Okay. Like a creed? Like a creed? Okay. It's connected to that. Uh, doctrine is a word that means teaching. That's all it means. Um, and um, theology, does anybody know what theology means? Okay. Can you break the, the word down, theology? Study of? Theo is, is God. Is God, right. So it's, it literally means words about God. Uh, so, it's, it, so really, when we break it down and look at the words themselves, that neither one is a dirty word. But when you are in any type of a, a modern religious setting, a lot of times you, you use that word and people roll their eyes. Oh, you know, one of those old people that wants to talk about theology. We don't want to talk about that in religion anymore. Uh, but but they are necessary. They're not just <coughs> excuse me. They're not just uh, good words, but they are necessary words. I want to talk about some theories about doctrine, about truth, about theology, uh, where where people develop their theology and their teachings from. Um, what does it mean to be pragmatic? This is one of the the sources where people determine what a theology should be. What does it mean to be pragmatic? We hear the word a lot, right? It, it's uh, used a lot maybe in political circles or culturally. Talk about someone's very pragmatic. Okay, it's, it's kind of like practical. Um, so, so pragmatic is the idea that if it works, it's true. Now, is there... Is there an element of truth to that? Okay. Well, I mean, isn't that that is kind of the background of science? Don't don't we come up with a theory? We teach we teach kids, you know, in, in science classes. You come up with a theory, you put it in to you try to you try to manufacture a, 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 a experiment, and if the experiment doesn't work, well then your theory was false. Right? That we, we that's it's kinda you can eliminate it. 
Uh, however, uh, just because something technically works doesn't mean it's, it's accurate. Um, I'll give you an example. He used this example, um, and I thought it was, I, I tried to think of a better one, and I couldn't off the top of my head. Uh, so, so I'll use his example. And he said, you know, in, in, in war a lot of times, um, people will motivate their, an army will motivate their side by telling lies about the people who are on the other side, right? Well, has that ever motivated successfully a group of people? Yes, all the time. <laughs> it's always motivated successfully. So, so if, if that group went on to win the war, does that prove that the lie was accurate? Well, obviously no. It's still a lie. It's still not a correct thing that they were teaching, even if it was successful. So, so pragmatism is... is and sometimes it does prove a, a, a thing true in a, in a scientific experiment. So, you know, it might do that. But uh, it doesn't always um, prove that something is accurate. And it certainly doesn't prove <laughs> uh, that something is the best way. And, and uh, I, I know that from <laughs> being an electrician, you go into somebody's house. And I was, uh, whenever I go up to... Um, uh, Woodbury, uh, I, I have one of my Christmas presents is to work on house projects for, for in-laws. And uh, so I was actually getting a tool for, to, to, to work on my, uh, my wife's mom's house. And, and, uh, and Patrick's like, well, while you're here, I have kind of an issue <laughs> uh, with my lights. And, and, uh, and it, ha it has to do with the way things were built a long time ago. And it, they technically worked. They weren't really the best way to do things, um, you know, when, when they built those houses. Uh, so, so you end up with problems when you try to change something or, you know. So uh, just because something technically works, it certainly doesn't mean that uh, it would be approved if an inspector came in. Well, my lights are running. Yeah, but you've got a nickel in your fuse box, <laughs> you know, to bypass the fuse. That's not legal. That's not the right way to do it or... So that's not what he had wrong with it. But, but there's people that do that. Does it work? Yep. Should you have it? Nope. <laughs> there's also, you know, the physical. Yeah. means right. Well, not necessarily. Just because you're physically stronger than somebody doesn't mean that... Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's actually another type of pragmatism. I can do this, therefore I should do this. So it's okay to do. So uh, these are all types of pragmatism. And a lot of people think that these are sources of, of doctrine, of teaching, um, that we should hold a, a teaching as true spiritually or, or in the church because it gets more people in the door. Or our tithes are up. Or whatever the, whatever the positive characteristic associated with... with um, with Christianity might be seeming to be improving based on uh, this, uh, this way we're doing it. So that means it's right. Uh, so, so that's kind of one pragmatic idea. Another one is if I accept it, it's true. Um, and we've talked a lot about relativism, right? <clears throat> uh, or postmodernism, we've heard me use that phrase. And this is that idea. 
if I accept it. In other words, there's not really a truth, but I get to determine for me what's my truth. Uh, and, and if we as a church vote and want to move in this direction, then for us, this is right. And, and that goes on a lot in our, in our world. It's probably always gone on. You know, we, we say, we use it, we talk about those phrases kind of like they're, they're new, but they've always existed, you know. Paul addressed that when he talked about heaping up for themselves teachers who, you know, tickle their ears and things like that. So I also said, you know, well, some people have this holiday. Some people have that holiday. Mm-hmm. So you have to decide for yourself whether this is right or not. And then mm-hmm. they just take it to the extreme. Right, right. There are applications where, <coughs> excuse me. If something's not wrong, then you're capable to decide for yourself. There's, there's like that, that room between the, the fences, I guess. Uh, the, the problem is, is when, like you say, people extrapolate that to, to areas of doctrine. An area of a specific practice may be open. You know, are we going to have church at night? Are we going to have the Lord's Supper at the end of the service? So there's, there's a lot of room that really there's no right or wrong. But when we come to teaching and, 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 and saying this is truth, we can't decide for ourselves what, what is truth. Isn't that why you have so many different churches? Yes, that's exactly why. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> they've they've d- divided over a, a difference of belief on things. And, you know, and, and to be fair, Paul left over matters of teaching. Pa- Paul took a group of people and said, we, we cannot work with this. We're going to have to, but it was always a last resort. Uh, and I think sometimes, you know, more commonly, it's a first resort for today. They didn't just like get up and, well, I don't like this thing, and we're going down the street. <laughs> um, so, uh, belief in a thing and disbelief in a thing, certainly it doesn't determine its reality. It's either true or not true, regardless of what I believe about it. Uh, so it's, the impetus is on me to develop the right view, and that's, that's kind of the, the source of, of theology or correct theology. Uh, <clears throat> and when you look at the world today that is, is getting really into this idea of truth being a, a, a thing that we can determine, it's, it's really hindering science and, and medicine. It, it, and it's always done that. Um, <clears throat> there's a, a story about a guy by the name of Ignaz Semmelweis and uh, he's the guy that uh, he, they, he worked in a maternity ward or something like that in Bulgaria this is a long time ago this is before Louis Pasteur this is before all of them and he, he started washing his hands he's like I'm just going to wash my hands and his infant mortality rate dropped. Like, like, no one else had this mortality rate. But because his beliefs were such that uh, contradicted some of the teachings of the day, some of the theology, not theology, but the th- medical theories, and maybe theology, I don't know, uh, they hounded him out of a practice and eventually where he died in a mental institution. 
even though the evidence, and this is one of the, well, he was pragmatic, you know, he tested a theory, and, uh, but, but uh, it simply could not fit into what they wanted to accept. So, um, you know, and then along a few years later comes Francisco Reddy and, and Louis Pasteur and basically prove him right, Franz Lister, uh, and, and prove everything right that he said. Um, you know, some people uh, <coughs> are still doing this. It, it, it's having different applications or practical applications even today. Uh, in 10th grade, we were taught what about genetics? What were we taught about genetics? Sim simple, simple, simple thing we were all taught in 10th grade biology. You have an X chromosome and you have a Y chromosome. And that determines who you are. You are a boy, you are a girl. And that was 10th grade biology. A 10th grade biology teacher said that with no ambiguity whatsoever. 1987, 10th grade biology. Now, all of a sudden, everything we knew is gone. We can't say that anymore. No 10th grade biology teacher will tell you that today. Why? Because it goes against a philosophy that's not popular anymore. So our, so our medicine, our 10th grade <coughs> biology classes are going backwards. Uh, and this is having, and, and what's the result? What's the result of that philosophy? Medically. Medicated? Situations that they don't actually have. Okay. Uh, worse than that. Surgery. Yes. We're, we're mutilating children. We're mutilating children. Surgically. That will alter their lives and, and shorten their lives. Because of postmodernism. Because of this, the, this really... <coughs> this, this method of developing a theory. So, so that's an example outside the church. Well, the same thing can happen in the church, where if you have this concept where we can vote on it, we can do, you can do the same thing inside of a church, where, where we get to determine what truth is. Truth is truth. Um, and, and we can have disastrous eternal effects, worse than what you look at going on in, in the world medically when we mess up the truth we can screw up a person's eternity that's, that's far worse actually we don't think of it that way because it's, it's a horrific mental image of what's going on uh, but um, but practically we, we really hold a lot of power in theology um, <clears throat> The other type of pragmatism is observation. If something represents reality, it is true. I'll explain what I mean a little bit by that. Um, the, if, uh, excuse me, not pragmatism. Um, it's, a, it's a third alternative um, to pragmatism. This is the one that we've typically used for saying this is good theology or this is good science. I observe a thing to be true, that it represents reality as best as I know it. Therefore, it's true. 
Uh, now, when we talk about theology, I can't observe God directly, so I have to observe things about God, and I have to look for something he's revealed to me, right? which requires interpretation. And this is where things get dangerous. But what we can observe doesn't always confirm a specific teaching. In other words, uh, we, you used the famous Romans passage, right? In chapter 1 where he says, you know, in my, uh, in my creation, you can see my eternal power, my Godhead, and all, all those things. Those, those, re, those reveal something about God. I can't look at nature and come to specific theological proofs. There's, it's very limited. So I need something. I need a, a revelation beyond natural revelation. I need a specific, uh, some type of a verbal inspiration to to give me those teachings and that's where the interpretation comes into play um, and usually not always but usually a, pra a, a, a honest pragmatism and observation will work together right I'll I'll if I really observe and just step back without my biases and observe what's in the scripture and I start applying it, it'll work, right? Christianity works. Maybe immediately I feel suffering, and I go, well, that didn't work, because I'm feeling suffering. But that, that's not what I mean uh, by, by pragmatism. What I'm saying is long-term, the, the practice of Christianity will generally work in a person's life uh, in, in terms of making their life more meaningful, more valuable, uh, more practical to people around them, and, in, and it will make a better society. What we see now in a society is uh, what always happens in a society that rejects God. Right? Things degenerate. That always happens. Always. Every society that's rejected God has gone downhill. Um, and so that's why I say um, you, uh, you, need, you need both the pragmatism and the observation to work together, really. Um, the way we do that in, in doctrine is, is, you know, if a, a specific doctrine is false, well, eventually you'll notice that elsewhere when you turn to another scripture. It's going to make a different scripture really confusing all of a sudden. And then you watch what people will do. They'll show you a dishonesty. They'll, they'll avoid. So uh, we have our kids in a, a, it's homeschool, but it's through a private school, sort of. They actually have the same curriculum that they had last year um, when they were in a private school. Uh, and the, the private school, they, they have Bible memory work. Now, it's just memorize the Bible. There's nothing wrong with that. But I know that because of their theology, there are verses that they will never memorize. I mean, they have to do a new verse, right, every four weeks or every four days or five days, a new memory verse. That's a lot of memory verses from K through 12. And there are verses that they will never memorize because it's inconvenient for our theology. They will never memorize and they have never memorized the last words of Jesus on this planet. Never. Why? Because of a theology. Because we can't talk about baptism.
they will never memorize, nor have they ever memorized in this theo- in, in, because of this theology. In this curriculum, they have never, never memorized the conclusion of the very first sermon in the history of the church. Why? Baptism. They're never going to. And so, so you see a, a, an inherent dishonesty in whoever's making this curriculum. Not, not necessarily all the teachers. They, I'm sure, honestly believe it. But whoever's doing this shows that they cannot be honest. And, and it shows that this, this bias, if, if we just ignore these verses, and, but as we practically look, and it's like we're getting to the point where you have to avoid verses of the scripture. Why are you doing that? Because of a theology. So there's possible, I want to look at the possible sources of, where, where are the sources then? Of, those are the, the methods. As we talk about the methods of, of going through and developing a theology, what, what are the, the sources of my teaching? Well, we, we handled the first one, revelation. God revealing truth in some way. Well, let's get more specific. What are the two ways God can reveal a specific message about what some teaching? What are the two ways God could do that? Prophecy. Okay, so a direct message to me. Andrew, I want you to say this on Sunday morning. Right? How often have we prayed or heard a prayer in Sunday, give Andrew or give a preacher X the words to say. You ever heard someone pray that? Someone is praying for me to get a direct revelation as I'm walking up there. Okay, that, that's one type. And, and, and God has done that. God, Jesus said, listen, don't even think about your sermon. <laughs> don't, don't think about your main divisions or any of that. Don't think about your text. Because you're going to stand up and you're not going to know what you're going to say and you're going to open up your mouth and, and this, this wonderful sermon is going to come pop right out. Let me tell you, I've had to do that once. And that was a time where there were three preachers and uh, we went in a rotation. And uh, I was not on the schedule that week, but the guy who was supposed to be forgot, he thought it was the previous person. So I, like bit the bullet and got up. I'm the fresh out of Bible college student. So I got up and I'm like, well, <laughs> here we go. I got the song service to get a sermon together. And uh, actually, no, I don't even think I had the song service. I, I think I think we all just looked at each other for after the songs were over. And I'm like, oh boy, uh, the worst sermon I've ever preached. Uh, and it was also the longest sermon. I just did not know where to cut it off. <laughs> <laughs> I just like I don't know. I'm just gonna start talking, and I don't know if anybody got anything out of it. Maybe that was a good thing about the Bible is you can get anything out of it. But um, I, I don't have that gift. I, I don't suggest that for a sermon pre- preparation. Um, that's my experience. I've never experienced God giving me the words to say. So, <laughs> So, so there's direct messages. How could I determine the validity of that message? How would I know? I really wouldn't. I, I don't have access to the types of things that the apostles had access to determine validity of messages. I think part of it, too, is, is 
it a new revelation that you are proclaiming? Okay. It would be yeah. hard to prove. Otherwise, to me, when people are saying, give him the words to... I know what they mean by that, but... To, you know, yeah. remember what you've studied. I do believe that God does that. Biblical and and I've, had, I've had times where... It's not necessarily a divine revelation or anything like that, but I've had something in my notes and just like something pops into my head, a, a better illustration, and I'm just like, okay, I'm going to wing it. I've had times where I've lost my place on my page and, uh, and skipped over something, and I'm like, man, I really, I'm really glad that I skipped that. It's like, well, it didn't really have a flow. You know, something like that. I don't know if that's God doing that or if it just worked out or... Whatever, but I think certainly God can do that. What I'm what I am saying is I don't think God gives me specific information. That, right. That yeah. I I I just again my I have limited experience, but my experience has always been that I don't have that. Um, I think when that thought is, is expressed in a prayer. It's the memory they hope that the yes, uh, I, I think probably not a revelation. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I but, but. And so, you know you'll find you need more help. Yes. So, so I, I, but I do believe that sentiment probably originates within religions that do believe that, uh, that do believe that the preacher gets up and and gets messages, and God speaks to them, things like that. There, there are religions that actively teach that. So, I, uh, Andrew, yeah. Thoughts? Can I? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, this is open. I think, um, it, it, it's interesting because I, I think, I think the, the idea of it winds up getting perverted into like an individual. Yes. Having, you know, speaking for God, right? Like, like you, like the Pope, right? Like, for instance, right? Yeah. Like an example, like, you know, you become the vicar of Christ. But it, for me, what's, what I, what I've, what I've come, at least from my, you know, from my experience, what I, what I'd like to, what I've come to understand is that in the Bible, God's used donkeys to talk to people. Right. Right. I would think I'm more elevated than a donkey. I would hope so. Right. Uh, and, but it also says that the Spirit interprets groans. Like even if you, you know, it, whatever, whatever it is that you think that you're saying, right can be interpreted by someone else in the way that God wants them to hear it, right? There's some, there's some scripture that might be so completely, or, or, or a message, and somebody's saying, oh, you're preaching to the choir, right? That type yeah. of thing. But the way that it, that it was delivered and what was said was exactly what that one person needed mm -hmm. to hear. And it was like, and God knows that. And yeah. God, can, God can make it sound different on their heart. Yeah, a, I suppose that's true. And you can have a calloused heart where, yeah. you know what? The, the most <coughs> message that you needed to hear that day, yeah. you're, you're shutting it out. You're, yeah. just not, you're just not getting what you need. So for me, I don't think it's necessarily like, like hey, uh, you know, like you're writing scripture. Yeah. Right? But I absolutely believe that God is intervening and delivering that message in a way that people need to hear it. I mean, and, and you could think it was the worst service in the universe and walk away from there and, and, and someone could have got something. That's why I say it, it's the yeah. scripture. Someone can get something out of it. Yeah. Um, that's what they always claim. If you open the Bible, you will be directed to a verse that applies to your life at that time. And of course, that's because you're looking 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that that's a promise. Uh, but I mean, not a promise, but a lot of people feel that way. Sure, because yes. Because when they do it, they are able to find Right, and I think you're right. There's a, there's a certain self-fulfilling prophecy to yeah. that. Like, Seeking you shall find. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's kind of like, shall be open. you know, and almost every scripture you can probably And there is, all, right, there's always application and stuff. <clears throat> Sure, absolutely. Another thought. I was I was thinking about this is this is going back to an earlier comment that you made about the uh, you know it's like truth and and, and uh, whether or not something actually you know if it's if it doesn't if it's lacking God it'll fizzle out it'll eventually right. it'll eventually die and I was I was, I was I was I was trying to find where was the scripture because I remember it was in Acts but it was Gamaliel I thought it was Nicodemus but it was Gamaliel yes and and he was uh, and, and and they were all like. You know, having a, a meeting about what did, what do you do about these Christians? You know, they're all getting popularity, and he basically said, you know, the, the point was that um, he said, and now I say to you in, in Acts five verse thirty eight, uh, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. Uh, but if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. Right. Yeah. And it, it, it changes your, you know, that, that type of faith that he had and what he believed. I mean, right. that, that's just demonstrated, hey, look, we are on the side of right here. We don't want to be on the side of wrong. And if what these guys are saying is from God, you know, uh, it'll, it'll last. It'll, right. it'll teach us. But if we sit there and let it happen, right, in faith, then God will God will destroy it, right? It'll it'll work itself out to be nothing because it can't last if it's not from right. God. So I, I thought that was inspiring because it, it, a lot of times we want to uh, we want to fight for the truth, but the, the truth only needs to be spoken. You know, I've heard that before. The truth doesn't need a, a defense. All the truth needs is to be spoken, right? Mm. And and it'll 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 defend itself, right? You know? But that is that's an interesting thought. Um, so, um, kind of uh, trying to figure out where I left off here. Um, oh, so we're talking about direct messages uh, versus the Bible. Obviously, we know we get stuff from the Bible. We spent a little bit of time there. I want to go back to the, to the direct messages, the idea that, that God speaks to me. Um, and, and there's a thought that, that I've heard a lot that says, well... Um, I don't contradict the Bible. That's how I know if I get a, a divine thought. I, it doesn't contradict the Bible. You know. If I left our kids in charge, we had to go somewhere. We're going to have, have a situation here shortly. Uh, Katie's gotten a job. So Monday nights, the kids are going to be by themselves for several hours. That's going to be a, a situation that happens. Right? So let's say I leave Adelaide in charge. And I give these directions. I, I give a list of directions. Now, she adds her own thing to it. She doesn't contradict. Every, every direction I gave gets accomplished and done. But she adds to it. It doesn't contradict. She doesn't get to say, well, that's from, that's from dad and mom because it doesn't contradict what they said. No, that's an addition. That's a your, you made it up kind of a thing. So, so, um, so that is kind of a, um, I guess a, it's a red, a red herring 
uh, idea. Um, but I've heard that a lot going back to, uh, we talked about people who were inspired. I uh, used to, I had a friend who would get, take me to visit other churches in college and <laughs> try to stir up <laughs> debates. And so he could watch the fun unfold. Um, and, and I went to a, a church that was uh, a lively stone apostolic. It was like seven people. The guy was an apostle. He was a prophet. He was everything. He was all rolled up into one, mm-hmm. and uh, and and they had the same idea of of this guy had divine inspiration and direct messages and, and, and all these things. So, so I've, I've just encountered these kind of ideas a, a lot, and and they they all kind of crack underneath really scrutiny. Um, the other source of theology, or um, is what people refer to, I want to turn Matthew chapter 7, and 21 through 23. And we're going through less scripture today, it's just introductory material that will change. Matthew chapter 7, through 23, that's right on my page turning. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. That day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, drive out demons and do miracles. Then I will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Uh, and so one of the things that you see here is that people are using as a source of truth, personal experiences. We're right because these experiences, these religious experiences are happening to us and we're having these really good feelings of, of awesome things happening in church or whatever they were doing. And, and, and we, I think, sometimes struggle with this. How do I say that this church is wrong when good things seem to be coming from their movement? Jesus addressed that. Rightness or wrongness is not based on how good your religious experience is. You can be having the greatest religious experience, and people can be one, and people can be a a sinner can be converted by a person who's not going to find themselves in the same location. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, so so, and he he addresses like you're a lawbreaker. That's that's how I I determine things. So. Personal experience is not a source. This is a source, is kind of a pragmatism. It's working, so I'm right. Um, Or we may do it kind of similarly. The events in the lives of others ends up determining. This is backwards, where a person determines theology based on what a loved one's doing. A loved one is doing this now, a son, a daughter. So all of a sudden, I used to preach about this, but now I'm not going to preach against it anymore because, you know, my kid does it, right? And and so that's a that's a different way that personal experience uh, determines theology. Or a loved one has passed away. Maybe my theology is going to be altered in terms of what I think is right or wrong 
right, based on a tragedy that happened. I have a friend that's kind of going through that right now, and he's, his entire faith is up in the air. And all because he's doing something that's not his. He's determining, he's, he's thinking about where his grandpa is. I'm like, that's not yours to deal with. You don't know. I, I can tell you what the Bible says a person should or shouldn't do. That, and he's, he's conflating that idea with where his grandpa is. I'm like, you don't know where your grandpa is. Neither do I. I mean, make a difference. What, what, like, I don't have that to judge. And neither do you. What, what ours is, is what God says is. And that's all that's ours. That, that was Jonah's dilemma. Yeah. Right? Because, you know, he, God didn't, you know, by, by, by giving Nineveh mercy, he wasn't giving Jonah a pass to live as right. a non-Jew. Correct. He still expected him to be a Jew. But Correct. he also gave mercy to Nineveh. Right. And Jonah knew that he was going to do that because he was a merciful God. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, that's the dilemma with God. Yeah, does he, is the Bible wrong? Because, you know, and it says to be baptized in this way and to live in a certain way. Absolutely not. That is the way God intended you to do it. And that's the way you're, you're called to teach it. Right. But does that mean he can't show mercy to someone right. else if he chooses right. to? Yeah. Someone, someone said this. I, I thought about it. I don't know where I stand on the idea. But he says, God can forgive every kind of error. He's like, can he forgive a theological error? That's an interesting thought. I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I, it's, like, it's an error. It's a sin. It's a, it's a missing of the mark. Can, can God forgive a theological sin? Yeah, he can. It's a type of grace. So, so I don't, you know, I'm not going to stand here and say he does. I'm not going to stand here and say he doesn't. It's that, again, that's not mine. But, but as a means of determining a theology, that's a really bad way to determine your theology is based on a tragic event or, or anything like that. Yeah. There's a in this scripture that you quoted um, where it talks about you know uh, Jesus said um, uh, many will say to me that day Lord Lord and it's the one thing that occurred to me and and this is a sort of like one of those nuances that I don't don't have the answer to but it but it, it it seems to be like a further delineation of what he intended right when he said when he said did we cast out demons in your name. Right? So, so casting out demons, according to another conversation that Jesus had, when they, when they accused him of casting out demon, the demons in Beelzebub's name, and he said, well, how could I, how could I cast out demons in, 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 you know, by the devil? If, you know, that, that's not possible, right? right. And so, and so the, the, point, the point here is that the interesting thing is that you can still represent God. Correct. And, and not, not be casting out demons in Beelzebub. Beelzebub right, right, exactly. Not be saved yourself. Yes. Yeah. It's, yes. It's scary. Yes. Yeah. He says. He says. Remember yeah. too, Satan has the power to do things too. So you have to know by whose power you're actually. Right. Doing yeah. Things. And as there's, an observer, it's very hard to know yeah. who's doing what. There's a verse, and I, I can't remember. I think it's in Hebrews, but it might be James. But um, it says um. That is scarcely that the righteous are saved. Scarcely, barely, by the skin of their teeth, the righteous are saved. Grace is not this wide open, do what you want thing. That that is, like you say, it's a scary thought. Um, Don't want to go too much longer, but 
with some of the other sources. I just want to cover this real quick. Uh, observation, obviously, Romans chapter 1. We can get some general ideas, and we can connect some dots between our observation of things and, and our reading of scriptures. Uh, but sometimes we make dangerous questions. Uh, like, well, I can't believe that God would do that. No. Right? That, like, that, that's a, a logical question that we ask, and then we try to connect these dots. Um, and so there's a difference. We want to be clear that there's a difference between being rational and rationalizing. Uh, one is where our mind is trying to determine truths, and one is rationalizing is where our mind is, is a mechanism to, to get ourselves to a point that, our, that we would like to be emotionally. And, and like, our emotions make our mind work, make, make our mind the slave, kind of. And you come up with the explanation. That's, that's your job. Your mind has to be, provide the explanation for why I can do this or why this person can't do that or whatever the rationalization is. And the other one is prevailing opinion. The majority believe this, so this is truth. Uh, and this is, you know, we are shaped by culture. And it's so hard to override the majority. Uh, and so eventually the things that we have as a prevailing opinion become tradition. And once it's a tradition, it gets centuries and centuries. And we just say, well, it's always been this way. Um, so um, want to uh, just kind of go through formation of doctrine really fast. Um, I think the first step when we're, we're trying to form doctrine is to answer two important questions. One, what is my primary source of truth? What, what is it when, when I come down to it, what is the thing that's going to be the bedrock for determining other things? And how absolute is my reliance on Scripture? And by that, I mean, if, if, if Scripture disagrees with me, am I willing to go, I know I really feel this strongly, but this seems to be opposing me. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we get to bedrock knowledge, formation of doctrine. Uh, I, I think... Um, Going through, you know, if you're teaching someone new, going through the bedrock information, knowing the basic history of, of the Bible and events, knowing the, uh, before we even get to the heavy stuff, a lot of people want to dive into the heavy stuff. Don't start with the heavy stuff. Get your basic bedrock knowledge mm -hmm. down. Uh, then start asking the heavy questions because you, you're going to ask the, the deep theology and, uh, and if you don't have a framework from which to understand the basic concepts, how do the Old Testament and the New Testament interact with each other, things like that, you're going to make major errors, you know, not understanding how these things work together. So we're going to dismiss um, there. We're kind of over by a couple of minutes. Thank you for your thoughts.